0: You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, this morning we're continuing on in our study on the Holy Spirit as we're discovering who the third person of the Trinity is, as we're looking deeper into the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And I would say if you were not here last Sunday, this sermon series kind of builds one upon the other as we're, as we're developing a solid theology on the Holy Spirit. So if you were not here last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back And check out that message, because this message today is building on what we talked about last week. Next Sunday, we're going to be building on what we talk about today. So I would encourage you to check that out. But last week, if you were here, I began with this picture of a 2021 white Corvette. I talked about how there's power under the hood. The car is a 6.2 V8 that goes from 0 to 60 in in 2.8 seconds. And I made this illustration of if we had this car and never got out of first gear, then we would not take advantage of of what the car was designed to do. Like there's power under the hood, but we have to take advantage of the power. Well, interesting, Sunday afternoon, so I I talked about that Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I was in the garage and I hear this noise out in my driveway and this is what showed up. Now, they didn't give it to me. They didn't sign it over, if you're wondering. But they did take me for a ride. I got to ride in a 2021 Corvette. Interesting thing um, is, we never got out of first gear. <laughs> we puttered around. I'm sorry, Jim. Um, The car only had 32 miles on it and he was breaking it in, so we were just being. But I got to to take a ride in the car. But the point of the uh, illustration was simply this there's power under the hood, but you have to be willing to take advantage of the power. And I think so it is in our lives as we think of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. There's a power that's been made available to us today in this age of the church, but we have to be willing to to take advantage of the power. Also, I I want to mention this really quick. Last week we made this book available. Uh, I think it's the best book I've ever read on the person and work of the Holy Spirit by Pastor Robert Morris, The God I Never Knew. There's a few copies left. The church is picking up half the cost so you can get this for $5 as long as the book is available. And let me say to all of my Uh, Spanish-speaking friends, we have uh, Spanish copies on the way. There's just been a delay. We should have those by next Sunday. So if you need a Spanish volume, we'll have that available next Sunday morning. But as we think about uh, the Holy Spirit, as we think about what we want to talk about today, we're going to look to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. The defining moment that happens in Acts chapter 2. Now we all have, we've all had and have defining moments in our lives. What's a defining moment? A defining moment is something that ha- that happened that shaped your life or that has ongoing effect in your life. So there was this moment that happened, yet it, it's still playing out. I like to think of defining moments as this, the hinge points in our lives. Hinge points that maybe shape a direction or, or change who we are or, or how we think or, or how we live. We all have them, and I'm not sure what you would identify as the defining points in your life. If we had time to interact this morning, I'm certainly you could tell me what some of those defining moments were. But let me share a few of my defining moments. Obviously, a huge defining moment in my life is when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was young. I can't remember the exact day, but that was a defining moment. That was a hinge point in my life. There was another hinge point in my life. March the 15th, 1986, that's when Charlotte and I got married. A defining moment in my life. And then August the 15th, that same year, 1986, we showed up at Mount Vernon Bible College to begin four years of college, preparing me for what I'm doing now, that was a defining moment. That was that was a moment that has marked my life. And then May of of 1990, I was invited to come on staff here at Grace Covenant, right out of Bible College. This was my her first ministry assignment. That invitation to me and my accepting of that invitation became a defining moment, marked my life. And then there was uh, August. Uh, August of 1995, uh, when we had an opportunity to leave the wilderness of West Texas and come back to the promised land to be the lead pastors here at Grace Come Again, that was a a defining moment when our children were born, Caleb and Grace, a defining moment. So we all have those defining moments in our lives, not only in our lives and for our lives, but if you think about it, there's also defining moments for our nation. This nation in which we reside. July the, 4th, uh, July the 4th, 1776 was the signing of the Declaration of Independence, declaring the colonies a free nation. I mean, that was a defining moment. January the 1st, 1863 was the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring that all persons held as slaves should be set free. Now, it took some time for that to play out for truly all people to come to freedom. But that date was a defining moment for our nation. And then there's July the 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong took his first step on the moon. Again, defining moments. So if we think of our lives and our nation, there were defining moments that have shaped who we are and where we are today. Well, the same is true for the early church. In God's plan, there was a defining moment. And we want to talk about that today as recorded in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost was a defining moment in the birthday of the church. It was the day that the Father gave the Holy Spirit to encourage, equip, and empower the, Christ follow, or the, the early Christ followers. It was on this day that the disciples received what Jesus had spoken of prior to his death. So there's a playing out that we see here happening in scripture. In John chapter 16, verse 7, that's where Jesus told his disciples before going to the cross, he says, Hey guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to be for your good. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, a post-resurrection encounter, Jesus tells the disciples. So he's been crucified, resurrected. He's with the disciples. And this is what he says. Acts 1, verse 4, he says, Hey, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave this city until you receive what the Father has promised. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Don't leave until that happens. Well, this very happening that Jesus told the disciples to wait for happened on the day of Pentecost. And it, it was during the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost, one of the three major feasts of the Jewish people. So there would have been a lot of people in Jerusalem because in the major feast, the people would come from the surrounding area into the city of Jerusalem. And it was on this day, the day of Pentecost, during the festival of Pentecost, that God poured out the Holy Spirit. So let's read about this. If you have your scripture, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Notice verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So notice that this passage begins with this. They were all together in one place. Some versions read like this. They were all with one accord in one place. So they refers to the 120, like the core group. So we have the 12 disciples. Matthias has replaced Judas and some other five. So there's 120 gathered in the upper room. This first sentence here in Acts chapter two, 2, verse 1, reveals a time, a location, and an attitude. The time, as I've already said, was the day of Pentecost. The location is an area called the upper room. I've been there actually once in my travels to the Holy Land. The upper room would have been a large room um, in the upper level, kind of like on the second level in uh, the area of Jerusalem. And the attitude, the scripture says they were all in unity, that they were, they were in accord. And then suddenly they heard this tremendous noise that sounded like a gale force wind. In fact, the sound was so loud that the people throughout the city heard it. Even more remar- remarkably to hearing this sound, they saw tongues of fire that appeared to rest on each of them individually. So after hearing something they had never heard and seeing something they had never seen, these people found themselves with power to do something that they would never done. Verse 4 says, They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this whole God-happening and that's what it is, it's a God happening, it's a defining moment, drew a crowd. There was energy, there was the dynamic of all that was happening, so there's this crowd that comes, and Peter then preaches his first sermon. He addresses the crowd. So let's pick that up in verse 14, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. In those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon will be turned to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Notice verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Will be saved. So basically Peter's saying to the crowd, because the crowd has come about, Peter's saying, "Hey, this is not craziness, this is not drunkenness, this is not like some spiritual hive. it's God doing what He said he would do. It's God giving the Holy Spirit just as he, just as He promised. Now, what's interesting is that there's only one day of Pentecost. It's recorded in Acts chapter two. But what I would want you to catch this morning, and I think this is significant, I would encourage you, dig into Scripture for yourself. Listen, please don't ever go away from here just believing what I said. Dig in for yourself. Be a student of God's Word. Amen? Man, you need to be familiar with God's Word. So I'm encouraging you study this out in the book of Acts. But there's only one day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2. Yet what we find throughout the book of Acts is there's a number of other experiences. In other words, what happens in Acts chapter 2 is not a one-off. We see it happening throughout the book of Acts. Matter of fact, if you look to Acts chapter 8, Philip goes down to Samaria and he begins to preach the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, miracles are happening. People are getting radically saved. Peter and John hear about it, and they think, well, we better go down to Samaria and and check this out. And as they go to Samaria, they find individuals who have come to know Christ as their Savior. They've experienced that of the wonder of God's saving grace. And listen to how the Scripture reads. Acts chapter 8 says, "When, When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them and that they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost happened in uh, in Samaria. And not just in Samaria. If you go to Acts chapter 19 in, in Ephesus, this is now some years later. We have the Apostle Paul and Apollos who go to Ephesus and there's individuals who've come to know Christ as their Savior, but they've not experienced what happened in Acts chapter 2. And Peter, he asked them, he says, hey, have, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was any such thing as the Holy Spirit. Listen to how this reads, Acts 19. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The Ephesian believers said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Some years later, what happened in Acts chapter 2 is happening in the city of Ephesus. And not only that, it's interesting that as the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to the church at Corinth, he takes two chapters, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, we'll get into those in a couple weeks, but he takes two chapters to talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the believer and in the church today. So my my point is, what I want you to see here again, that that what happens in Acts chapter 2 is not just an event for that day, but we see a continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. So what happened? What happened on the day of Pentecost? It's important, I think, that we understand what happened. What do we see playing out in this text, in this story? Three things. The first is this. The promise of God was fulfilled. Although the day of Pentecost and what happened on it was a a bit of surprise to the early disciples, what they experienced uh, may have caught them a bit off guard, but it was all a part of God's redemptive plan. God was simply following through with his plan and fulfilling what he had promised. It's interesting that some 850 years earlier, that the Holy Spirit, through the prophet Joel, spoke of what happened in Acts chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 5. Matter of fact, that's the very text that Peter uses as he's preaching the sermon in in Acts chapter 2. We just read that. So 850 years earlier, God says through the prophet, Joel, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Young men are going to dream dreams. Old men, women, prophets, it's for any and all who would call on the name of the Lord. Then we have John the Baptist. Interesting, John the Baptist speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit as he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. As Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and John was a witness to this, because he was the one who baptized Jesus. And this is what John the Baptist said. Listen, listen how the Scripture reads. In John chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, John says, I would not have known him... Except that the one who sent me to baptize in water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So here's John giving witness to not only the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus, but he further says, and Jesus is the one who's going to immerse you into the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was speaking of what was yet to come. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, I've already referenced that verse, but in this post-resurrection conversation, Jesus told the disciples, hey, I'm going I'm, I'm to send the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Comforter. Don't leave Jerusalem until this happens, until you have this experience. So what we need to understand first and foremost is that what happened on the day of, of Pentecost was a fulfillment of what God said He was going to do. It was His promise being fulfilled. It was God carrying out... His plan. Here's a second happening on the day of Pentecost. The disciples' lives were radically transformed in a moment. Radically transformed. If you read about the disciples, and again, I encourage you to do this. Do your homework. If you read about the disciples prior to the day of Pentecost, and you read about the same group of folks after the day of Pentecost, you say, wow, they're not even the same guys, Right? So what happened to them? Did they go to seminary for three years and get all messed up? No. What happened? They received the promise of the Holy Spirit. They received the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Their lives were radically transformed as a result of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice what happened in their lives. Three things specifically. The first is this. They became bold in their faith and they went from hiding behind closed doors to publicly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He, prior to the day of Pentecost. And again, you can you can check this out in scripture. Prior to the day of Pentecost, they were timid, they were uncertain, and they lacked confidence. They were unsure of what to do. They were unsure of like how to move forward. There was chaos playing out in Jerusalem. If you remember the whole scenario and Luke records this in his gospel, when Jesus was resurrected, the soldiers went to the religious leaders. And if you remember, the, re- the religious leaders paid them off. They said, hey, here's the story we want you to tell. We're going to give you money if you'll tell this story. If anything happens, we're going to cover for you. So there's this whole false plot that's being played out. There's this lie being told about Jesus and his resurrection and so the disciples find themselves in this place of tension in this place of of chaos so they were they were timid they were they were uncertain yet when they received the holy spirit following the day of pentecost their fear was transformed to a boldness their fear was transformed now they're boldly proclaiming the gospel message in acts chapter 2 Verse 14 and following, Peter preaches his first sermon. He, what He's proclaiming the good news of the gospel. All of a sudden, there's this confidence as a result of the Holy Spirit. They also became courageous and, and went from being afraid of the religious leaders to boldly confronting the dead religion of the day because of their Bold proclamation of the gospel, and you can read this in Acts chapter 3 and on over into chapter 4. Because of their bold proclamation of the gospel, they found themselves in conflict with the religious leaders. The religious leaders who were the power folks of the day, they called the disciples in and said, hey, what's the deal? We told you not to preach in the name and not to tell this resurrection story. And, and interesting. Now, here's the... Again, the individuals who held the power of the day, challenging the disciples. Listen to how the scripture reads. In, in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, the scripture says, Then Peter, get this, filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting that, that the scripture references that. Not just then Peter confronted the religious leaders. No, Luke, in his writing of the book of Acts, is very careful to say here, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to confront the religious leaders in their own hypocrisy. There was a a tenacity, a confidence, a courage that surprised the religious leaders. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 4 verse 13 reads like this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that there was something different about these men. They were unschooled. They were ordinary. Yet they had this confidence. They had, the, they had this boldness. What was it? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, they became tenacious and, and they were radically living out their faith, caring for one another. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. Listen how the scripture reads. All the believers were together. And had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. As a direct result of the presence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the early Christ followers were what? They were compassionately caring for one another. Like love was being lived out in in tangible ways. So as you, as you look to the first few chapters of the book of Acts, what you discover is that the disciples' lives were dramatically transformed in a moment's time as they received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What, it, it changed their lives. But not only did it change their lives, what's interesting is it began to change the lives of others. In other words, what happened to them In them, this overflow in their lives began to flow out in such a way that it began to impact the lives of others. Not a few, not hundreds, but thousands. As we look deeper into the book of Acts, this is what we discover. The disciples experienced a new dimension of the power of God in their lives. In other words, they began to do things that they'd never done before. Not by their human ability, but by the power of God. The dynamic of the Holy Spirit. See, the very thing that Jesus spoke about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 happened. Do you remember Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Jesus says, But you'll receive power, dunamis, dynamic, energy. You're going to receive power that would enable them to be effective in their witness. They would receive power to carry out the ministry of Jesus. They would receive power to live as kingdom citizens. The same Holy Spirit, make the connection here. you got to connect the dots. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus when Jesus was baptized by John in the river Jordan, it's the same Holy Spirit that came upon the disciples the same Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus to do the, the, the supernatural, the miraculous, that's the same Holy Spirit that came upon the early disciples, the 120 that were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. As a result of this new dynamic, three specific things happened. First is this, there was an explosion of evangelism as thousands of people came to receive Jesus as their Savior. I mean, Let me just recount a few of these Passage is a scripture for you. In Acts chapter 2, the very day the Holy Spirit was poured out, crowd gathers. Again, remember, day of Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost. A lot of people are in Jerusalem. They hear the noise. They see this, um, what appeared to them being somewhat chaos playing out. The crowd gathers. Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. I would say that's radical evangelism, wouldn't you? I mean, this is Peter. Peter. The one who had denied Christ. This is Peter, full of flaws, struggling in his own humanity. If there's anyone I can identify with in Scripture, it's Peter. This is Peter, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaches this sermon. 3,000 people get saved. Then, if you look on in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, the Scripture speaks of how the early church was functioning, how the love of Jesus was being lived out. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. People were were coming to know Christ as their Savior. then in Acts chapter 3 and 4, you you have the story of the man who was crippled from birth. He was miraculously healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. As a result of the miracle, this large crowd gathered to see what was happening. And, And again, it was Peter He proclaims the hope of the gospel and Acts chapter 4 verse 4 says, But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So as a result of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were, were boldly proclaiming the gospel and people's lives were like radically and eternally being changed. There was, again, this explosion of evangelism. As a result of this new dimension of power in the disciples' lives, there was the birth of the church as a living witness of Jesus Christ. Wherever the disciples went, they were telling the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. They were, they were proclaiming the way to salvation and the hope that could be found in Jesus. But they were, living, they were living representatives, telling the story. And there was also a release of the supernatural. Through the early Christ followers that did this, it drew people to Jesus. Listen, when people see the authentic power of God being revealed, let me tell you, friends, this is what happens. It captivates their attention. When people see the real the real of God being displayed. I'm not talking about the phony stuff. I'm not talking about the faith stuff. I'm not talking about the stuff we try to work out up out of our humanity. When they see the authentic power of the Holy Spirit revealed and the supernaturals happening, what does it do? It captivates people's attention. They want to know what's happening. What's the deal? Well, that's what's happening in the book of Acts. By the power of the Holy Spirit, get this, the early Christ followers were simply doing what Jesus did. That's the best way to define the supernatural in the book of Acts. The disciples were doing what Jesus did. After Peter healed the crippled man in Acts chapter 3, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says all the people were astonished. And get this, they came running to them. Running to see what was happening. Running to hear the gospel message Acts chapter 5 verse 12 through 16 I'm just going to pick out a couple of verses but listen how the scripture reads and these are the disciples these are the guys who were hiding behind closed doors these were the guys who were scared to death that's who they were prior to the day of Pentecost but listen how the scripture reads Acts chapter 5 Verse 12 says that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Verse 14 goes on to say, More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Verse 16 says, Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Not some of them. All of them were were healed. The early disciples were were doing what Jesus did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what we find, Acts 6 and 7, persecution breaks out. Persecution happening to the early Christ followers. So then they begin to spread, like it's not safe to be in Jerusalem. So they begin to head out to the surrounding regions and areas. Philip goes up to Samaria. And he begins Telling the Jesus story. Telling about Jesus' death and his resurrection to life. And what's amazing is people are getting radically saved. Miracles are happening. I mean, supernatural stuff is happening. And again, when supernatural stuff happens, like the real stuff, it draws a crowd. And that was happening in Samaria. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 8 verse 6 says, When the crowds heard Philip. And saw the miraculous signs he did. They all paid close attention to what he said. They wanted to hear. What is this? What's this miraculous? What's this supernatural? I I could go on and on with more stories as recorded in the book of Acts. But what we discover is that the early believers were doing miraculous supernatural acts by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. As the miracles happened, it captivated people's attention and they were open to hearing and receiving the gospel message. The early Christ followers were effective in representing Jesus because of what happened on the day of Pentecost. They received power, power to do what Jesus did so that people might experience that of God's saving grace. And here's the exciting news. All that I said this morning brings me to this closing statement. Here's the exciting news. What happened on the day of Pentecost, friends, is still happening today. Let me say that again. What happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost is still happening today. Just that the disciples needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live out of vibrant faith, So do we. In and of ourselves, if you haven't figured this out yet, in and of ourselves, we're so limited. In your humanity, you're just like me. We're so limited. We're limited by by our abilities. Just like the early believers, what do we need? We need help. We need help to effectively live out our faith. We need help to live out our faith in such a way that people see Jesus in our lives. We need help to live out our faith in such a way that it's contagious, that, that people are seeing the reality of Christ in our lives, and they're wanting to know what's so different about you. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit that enables us, that helps us. We need help. To do the supernatural of healing the sick and doing miracles so that people will see and experience Jesus. Listen, if you haven't figured this out yet, you can't do miracles. I'm sorry. You're just like me. But we're limited. I can't and you can't. But the Holy Spirit residing within us enables us to do just what Jesus did. Just what Jesus did. Just what the early disciples did. And it wasn't Peter who was healing people. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in and through Peter, in and through Philip, in and through John. Empowering them to to be effective. There's, There's a help available because of what happened on the day of Pentecost. And what happened on the day of Pente- Pentecost, again, it's still, it's still happening today. The Holy Spirit's still overflowing and empowering anyone and everyone who's willing, open, and responsive. Really, it's that simple. Willing, open, and responsive. In Luke eleven 13, I'm going to close with this verse. Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more? How much more will the Father give? So according to Jesus, we simply humbly ask, and the Father gives have to work for it don't have to earn it don't have to work ourselves up to it no we, we just Jesus if we ask the father gives this morning we want to ask would you pray with me Lord I thank you today for the help that you bring because God what I know God I, I'm so limited Lord I think that's probably true of all my friends here this morning For those watching on God, we are limited in our lives. What do we need? We need help. Just as the disciples needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Just as the disciples needed what happened on the day of Pentecost. God, so we need that in our lives. To live out a bold, courageous, confident faith that represents you well. And Lord Jesus, you said here in in, in Luke 11 that That if we ask, the Father gives. So we want to take you up on that this morning. We want to simply ask. Holy Spirit, we we want your overflow in our lives. We want in our lives what happened on the day of Pentecost, that defining moment in the early church. We want that in our lives.